White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Deep hooray! It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Good morning and welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight and you can join us in wishing Southpaw a happy 18th birthday. Tomorrow, June 12th, the White Sox take on the Rangers. Come out and celebrate your favorite fuzzy green dude with all of his friends, including Benny the Bull, Tommy Hawk, Staley, and more. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash Southpaw. My goodness, 18 for Southpaw. That is, uh, that's pretty incredible stuff. Southpaw, one of my favorites. Benny the Bull, always fun to see. I'm kind of hoping, I mean, we're going to talk a lot of White Sox baseball. we got a big show planned for you this morning. Uh, but if we've got the whole Southpaw birthday thing tomorrow, I think it's worth my telling you that one of my favorite things in the history of mascots is when Benny the Bull pulls the popcorn trick at the United Center. I am hoping that maybe in celebrating Southpaw's birthday tomorrow, Benny the Bull pulls the popcorn trick on Southpaw. It's just, it's my own personal birthday wish for Southpaw is what it is. Here's the plan for the show this morning. We have, I mean, just a ton for you here today as the White Sox get ready to face the Rangers in game two of this three-game series. It's a 1-10 start and a whale of a pitching matchup, too. Martin Perez has been terrific for Texas. In fact, yeah, Texas is, listen, they signed Corey Seager and they signed Marcus Semien, and they've got a nice little prospect group that's on its way to the bigs, a couple of good catchers, that whole thing. Uh, but they are still kind of putting themselves together for what will be, what they hope will be, of course, the next, you know, kind of contending Rangers team. That said, Martin Perez, who's going today, uh, 31, 32 years old, he's on a one-year deal, and he might be one of the hottest pitchers that you can get on the trade deadline if you are a contender looking to acquire some starting pitching. So uh, that's you know that's kind of how good he's been. Lucas Giolito has been Lucas Giolito. Looking forward to a very good pitching matchup this afternoon here at Guaranteed Rate Field with Lucas Giolito going up up against Martin Perez. The White Sox won yesterday. That's always making for a better and more fun White Sox weekly show. It has been a rough go, though. That series against the Dodgers was certainly a tough one. It was right there for the taking to take two of three against L.A. Things got away. The Dodgers did their whole Dodger thing. We'll talk about that, of course. Uh, want to talk about some of the um, some of the young prospects in this White Sox system. Just a couple of days ago, when the White Sox started their homestand against the Dodgers, Rick Hahn, general manager, sat down and talked about the state of the White Sox in uh, in what he usually does is, is kind of the first day of a homestand press conference. It's not every homestand, but most homestands. He'll sit down and kind of brief us uh, on what the White Sox are up to, some of the injury updates, all that kind of thing. Um, and he mentioned in that press conference, James Fegan of The Athletic asked him about two in particular, two White Sox prospects in particular, in Yolbert Sanchez and Lenin Sosa. And I thought, well, goodness, if Rick Hahn's answer to, about those prospects is, yeah, we think those guys could be around to help us out in 2022, then White Sox fans might want to know a little bit more about those two guys and 
the rest of the White Sox prospect system. We're coming up on the draft as well, so that should be fun. Jim Callis is going to join us at 11 o'clock this morning. Jim is uh, a writer for MLB Pipeline, an absolutely phenomenal database of prospect knowledge from here all the way. I mean, like this guy is, he's just, he's one of my absolute favorites to read um, when it's writing about prospects. Jim's going to join us at 11. So you want to make sure you're around for that a little bit after 11, maybe in the 11, 15, 11, 30 range, something like that. After the White Sox have taken BP down on the field and there's a couple going out there uh, to start hitting right now. But after BP, Jake Berger, is going to hop on the phone, and we'll hang out with him for a little while here on the show. Jake has been the center of attention for the White Sox over the last week, week and a half or so. He's been hitting the long ball. He's been playing third base. He committed an error and talked about that pretty honestly uh, in a loss against the Dodgers. Jake's been a real, uh, is really a a real stand-up dude. Uh, I really enjoy talking baseball with him. He's going to join us, like I said, after batting practice, after he's done in the cage, maybe 11.15, 11.30. You can follow us on at ESPN White Sox on Twitter. The handle is at ESPN White Sox. And once we've got a better idea of exactly what time Jake is going to be available and, and on the show, we'll tweet that out and let you know what that timing looks like so that you know, so that you've got a better chance of, of tuning in and hearing from Jake Berger. Uh, the other thing we're going to do on the show today, or, or one more piece, I mean, there's a whole lot. We're, we're going to open up to phone calls, of course, 312-332-3776. That's the number. The other thing that we've got planned for you, and I'm, I'm really excited about this, Eric Ostrowski is our executive producer of White Sox Baseball. And when we heard this happen during the game just the other day, we, we both, we have a, a little app that we use to, to chat back and forth when Eric is at the studio and when we're here at the ballpark or on the road or whatever. And immediately, I saw the three dots coming up from Eric, and I had the three dots coming up. It was while A.J. Pierzynski was on the broadcast with Len and DJ. And the baseball conversation that was going on between the three of them was as good as it gets. I mean, just truly, as good as as it gets. They talked about uh, strategies in the modern day game, the lefty versus righty platoon. DJ squared up and asked AJ about whether he'd ever want to manage. His answer was a good one. They talked a lot about what that fit looks like and how it, how a baseball player, how a guy who you know is out of the game for a little while in broadcasting might get into a managing opportunity. This was such a great, you know, 10 minutes or so of baseball conversation between Len and DJ and AJ Pierzynski that we just had to bring it back for you. We we really excited about this one. I, I thought it was a great, great conversation. We'll get to that probably somewhere after 1130, maybe in the noon hour before we start the pregame show at 1230 this afternoon. White Sox and Rangers coming up. It's a 110 first pitch. Uh, Lucas Giolito and Martin Perez are your starters. couple of details, a couple of news and notes items I want to get to here on the show as we get going. Your phone calls, as always, more than welcome. 312-332-3776. That's the number you want to talk White Sox. We're here for you all the way up until the pregame show starts at 1230. I know, actually, for a fact that a lot of White Sox fans are out early tailgating in some of the lots here today and I you know we love it when you've got the show on maybe blasting out of the car or if you uh, pulled up from 1992 you've got one of the big boom boxes that you set out in front of the tailgate 
with the grill going on. You got White Sox Weekly going. Call in. Let's talk White Sox. Love to hear from you. Looks like it could be a uh, a real nice day for baseball here at the park. Some cloud cover right now, which hopefully just makes for a, a better tailgate experience outside the ballpark or or the getting ready. Uh, for the baseball game experience out there. You know, you get the sunshine, it's a little warm, a little breeze, but you don't have the direct sun, you know, that gets you all over, kind of overheated. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. That's what we got planned for you. I, I want to start talking about yesterday's ball game. pull up the old scorebook here and, and kind of go through yesterday's game because I, I get and understand, I was doing pre and post game and, and, and talking with Lennon DJ throughout that Dodger series, that was a frustrating series, and and for the most part, the offense for the White Sox has been, you know, the issue that has kind of kept the restrictor plate on this team for the first sixty or so games. Right now, the Sox are twenty seven and twenty nine on the season with the eight to three win over the Rangers yesterday. There were a couple of moments, and I know that I've used this analogy before here on the show. It's a it's a cross sport analogy which I don't usually love but this one I think is particularly apt especially for uh, for the White Sox in this season there were moments in that series against the Dodgers there have been moments you know in that series against the Rays where they did take two of three but uh, lost the first one even in the series where they were swept by the Blue Jays in Toronto what was that last weekend yeah last weekend feels like a little bit longer ago than that for some reason there have been moments where this White Sox offense, as you know, kind of uh, frustrating as it has been for, for everybody involved, right? Whether that's Tony LaRusso all the way down to everybody hanging out in Lot E, or um, you know, Jake Berger who's coming on the show later, or us here in the broadcast booth. It, it's just they've had the puck on the stick in a couple of moments, in a lot of key moments. And what I mean by that is, if you're not a hockey fan, hey, you got a fast break going down, you got a three on two, something like that, the odd man rush. It's what they call it in hockey, as I recall. Puck's right there for you. The pass gets centered, the whole thing, and you've got it right there. All you got to do is pull the trigger. Maybe the puck rolls on you, something like that. It's But the opportunity, the man, the runners on base, uh, the guy that you want up in the lineup, whether it's Jose Abreu or Berger when he's been, as he's been swinging it the last two weeks, or Luis Robert, who's starting to get hot, A.J. Pollock who's swinging a really sweet bat over the last couple of games. It's The opportunity had been there in that series against the Blue Jays, in that series against the Dodgers. They cashed in against the Rays, and they cashed in against the Rangers last night. Uh, and just that next hit, or maybe even that next walk that moves the, the line, maybe even a, a ball in play that challenges a defense and forces a throwing error to start a rally or extend a rally. It just hadn't been there for the White Sox in that last week or so of baseball. And last night, it was. And it was evident in a couple of different ways, and I thought it was kind of cool to watch the disparate skill sets from individual White Sox players kind of shine in ways we didn't expect, right? Luis Robert, talk about the eighth inning now, and the White Sox and Rangers are tied at three last night. Corey Seager blasted a home run. He was one for four last night. Obviously a huge marquee free agent signing for the Rangers. He's got a you know 320-something million dollar contract. He's going to be a Texas Ranger for a real long time, it looks like. Now, the White Sox had kept him quiet in the first three at-bats. He ground out, flied out, struck out, looking uh, in the sixth inning. That was against Davis Martin um, in that sixth. And, and, and we'll talk about Davis Martin in a little bit. But Corey Seager hits the home run. He ties the thing up. With 
the leadoff man being Luis Robert, who had already stolen two bases and come home on a throwing error by Texas. He stole second, he stole third, and the throw down to third got away. Uh, and Luis Robert came home to tie the thing at two earlier in that game. You're thinking, okay, this is, this is Luis Robert. He was on with the fielder's choice. He made something happen. This is exactly the kind of guy that you want up to lead off this inning. He singles back up the middle. That passes the baton to Jose Abreu. He grounds out into a double play. I mean, the ball might have hit second base uh, had had Corey Seager not been standing there, or rather Marcus Semien not been standing there to field it and throw over. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, there it is. The leadoff guy's on, and the Sox hit into a double play. That's going to happen. Jake Berger legged out an infield single to start a rally with two away. Yoan Moncada singled. Yasmani Grandal absolutely blasted one into the right field corner. It rattled around. He had a double. Two runs scored. Socks up 5-3. Josh Harrison singles up the middle to bring in one more. And then Danny Mendick lights up the fireworks with a two-run shot out into left field. Actually, I do have to talk with Danny about this because a firework or two hit my car I noticed uh, when I was coming home, there were a couple of fireworks casings on the hood of my car, and the actual the roof of my car is just, it looks like the roof of my car went to a fun run, you know, like a color run, where the, you know, the kids wear white t-shirts and just get pelted with all the, I don't know what's in the little, it's like dye or something, but it's dry, and then, you know, your little seven-year-old walks out of the color run, and there's all kinds of like green and purple and pink and blue. I need to talk to Danny about it because the home run definitely made my car need a car wash. Uh, and that's just yeah, it's just one more thing I got to get done on the way home today before I, I pick up a cake on the way home. Uh, still fun all around the ballpark, and then there were more fireworks, so maybe it wasn't all Danny. It was a good day at the ballpark, and I just, you know, what, what got me thinking about that rally in particular, or what that rally got me thinking about in particular, was just what it takes to make sure that you're winning on the margins in Major League Baseball, what it takes to make sure that you're making your breaks, the breaks, go your way. And it starts with something as simple as Jake Berger, not an especially fast guy, but certainly tell you that he's faster than he looks, uh, and maybe we'll ask him that when he's our guest a little bit later on, maybe about a half an hour or so here on the show. Jake Berger had to bust it down to first base when he legged out an infield single. He had to run his, he had to run his butt off is what he had to do. And sometimes that's what it takes. It takes you know, a guy doing something that isn't necessarily his game to exploit an advantage. Um, we had something similar happen in New York a couple of weeks ago when Yoan Moncada had that enormous shift on. Everybody was on the right side, and he laid down a bunt third baseline. He knocked it. Uh, he, he got himself a double. Sometimes it takes those things when you're not playing the best brand of baseball, your brand of baseball you know you can play, and that has been the case for the White Sox over the first 60 games or so this year. And it's, it's great to see opportunities like that Go the White Sox way when you are taking advantage of all those little things, whether that be Luis Robert being a terror on the bases last night, Jake Berger legging it out, Yasmani Grandal hugging the right field line and knocking things in there. He's come around a little bit over the last four or five days, and in an interview with Daryl Van Scowen about, again, I want to say it was two weeks ago, he said more playing time is going to help him get his legs stronger, kind of put a base under him and get himself back to where he needs to be. He obviously knows it hasn't been the start to 2022 that he wanted it to be, but perhaps, and we'll talk about his numbers over the last four or five games, and A.J. Pollock's too, we're going to get into individual players here, um, but perhaps this is a sign of Yasmani Grandal starting to turn things on. Shot to right field certainly looked 
like Yasmani in the second half of 2021 last night. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline, is going to join us at 11. We'll talk White Sox prospects with him. You can give us a ring at 312-332-3776. We're talking White Sox all morning long up until the 1230 pregame show for the White Sox and Rangers. Lucas Giolito and Martin Perez, the starter, should be a good one here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Stay tuned. we got plenty more coming at you on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Pitch. Mendick high and deep left field. That baby will go! Sorry, Liam, no save chance tonight. Sit back down. Danny Mendick, Yakutau City on a cutter right there. And the White Sox have that big, huge inning they've been searching for late to take a big lead against the Rangers. 8-3. to Len and DJ with the call here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. That was the Mendick home run last night. It capped a five-run rally for the White Sox with two out in the bottom of the eighth. Sox went on to beat the Rangers 8-3. to They are 27-29 and with the second game of three against the Rangers. Coming up this afternoon here at Guaranteed Rate Field, the White Sox are five games behind the Minnesota Twins in the American League Central. Byron Buxton is heating up for the Twins again, but they have some injury issues of their own. We'll get to those in a little bit. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians, almost said the almost said the old name. That was it. Almost, it was almost the first time all year. That was almost the first time all year. The Cleveland Guardians are 28-26. and 26. They're three games back in second place in the American League Central. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk a little White Sox? We got time for you this morning. And if you are looking for the perfect combination of luxury and flexibility, check out Sweet Flex Packs. With multiple packs to choose from, you can completely customize your season in a diamond suite. Oh, they are. They're really nice. Y'all want to come out and hang out in one. Uh, For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. All right, some injury injury notes to uh, injury notes. That's not a thing. Some injury notes to update you on for the White Sox. Uh, One of them is uh, just kind of breaking now, although we kind of figured it was coming. Vince Velasquez is on the injured list. Uh, He and Davis Martin are now the kind of contenders, candidates, uh, your two fighters for the fifth man spot in the rotation for the White Sox, although that will change, I think, in just a little bit. Vince was throwing off the mound uh, against hitters in the cage just about mm, 20 minutes ago or so. He stepped off and uh, is now having his little, you know, kind of post. I don't know if you call it a sim game or a live live BP, I think is probably mostly what it looked like. Um, He's chatting now with Ethan Katz and and going over things. So that's great to see. Uh, Vince getting back to healthy gives the White Sox a lot of depth in that bullpen, a lot of length as well. Um, and it's going to change, I think, you know, the kind of the complexion that bullpen in a little bit because Lance Lynn, it sounds like, is all set and ready to roll for Tuesday's start against the Detroit Tigers. That is an evening game. It's a 6-10 start out in uh, or local time and 7-10 out in Detroit. That is a Tuesday start. The Tigers have yet to name a starter. They've actually got some trouble in finding starters right now. Their entire rotation. I mean, four of their top five guys are hurt right now. Casey Mize, we just found out, is going to head 
uh, to go get Tommy John surgery. So that puts him out until probably the middle of next season. That's a tough one. Uh, Depth-wise, it has just not been the season a lot of Tigers fans, and, and obviously that organization wanted. Um, so they have not yet named a starter for Tuesday's game. Technically speaking, the White Sox haven't either, although it does sound like there's a lot of... I've Tony La Russa said yesterday that you know the hope is they'll get right back in into the swing of things with Lance Lynn on Tuesday. So that's big news. It, it truly is. Uh, Tony was very excited with uh, in his interview with Len Casper yesterday's pregame show, kind of saying that you know after today, which was yesterday, after yesterday, the White Sox will have their whole rotation intact for the first time in 2022. Now that's it's great news. Obviously, the pitching has not been the issue for the White Sox, whether that be starters or relievers. I mean, they just they had pitched about as well as you could ask in a lot of different circumstances. Um, but getting Lance Lynn back and, and being that guy who can, you know, probably not at first take it deep into games. I, I would expect that you still have to be, if not cautious, then certainly careful about how much you're going to push Lance and, you know, exactly how many innings you're getting out of him, what kind of stress you're getting in some of those innings. You, you still have to be careful with that sort of thing. Uh, because, again, with Lance, uh, like Michael Kopech, and, you know, it, it just you want those innings to be free and easy or at least, you know, accessible to guys come playoff time. And, and the White Sox haven't changed their target. They've not changed their sights. The, the goalposts haven't moved even down or under two games under and five games back in the central, this is still a team that uh, believes in its stated goal. When spring training started after the lockout, they want to go to the world series. You know, this is a team that wants playoff success and has the talent to do it. There have been a bunch of different issues, whether they be injury or underperformance or just kind of some, um, you know, some unfortunate years from, from guys to start the season that have held them back a little bit, but the promise I think very clearly remains for the White Sox, and that's part of what it's the good and bad of baseball right now. That's part of what makes this team a frustrating one over the first sixty games or so. It's that it is so clearly better than it is played, and yet uh, it has played the way it has. So we shall see if that changes over the next little bit. Also, yeah, it's worth noting, and I know a lot of folks have written about this. Um, a lot of folks have talked about this, whether it be on, on other talk shows here on the flagship, ESPN 1000, all that kind of stuff. The White Sox schedule changed yesterday. It, 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 the structure of it got altered yesterday. Not, you know, like changed around and who they're playing and what they're playing. But the first 60 games or so for the White Sox were tough. They were playing a lot of really good teams. Now, <clears throat> say what you will about you know uh, last year's record against teams over 500 and all that kind of stuff and it is worth talking about however you know the white Sox face one of the the easiest schedules if you just go by winning percentage uh, of their opponents from here until the end of the season it's it sets up a lot nicer for the white Sox in the next 100 games or so than it did in the first 60 or so and that is a good thing you got to take advantage of those you the White Sox didn't sit down and make this schedule. Uh, the schedule makers did, or I guess the schedule algorithms did. Uh, and you got to take advantage of those. So the games are there for the Sox, and, and hopefully you know, against a Rangers team like this, yes, it is a tough starter today in Martin Perez, um, but there is an underbelly of that bullpen, and there is a White Sox offense that is really starting to uh, blink and click into life. So that should be a fun thing to watch. The other day, Rick Hahn, White Sox general manager, hinted at, didn't so much hint, said, 
that two prospects in Yolbert Sanchez and Lenin Sosa are guys that may well be available to help the White Sox cause in 2022. That got us thinking, why don't we give a call to Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline and talk a little bit about the White Sox farm system and why those two that Rick mentioned might be guys that have a little helium attached to them as prospects. We'll talk White Sox prospects next on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We're on Twitch. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. You can join us for family Sundays at Guaranteed Rate Field with tickets starting at $10 and parking for only $15. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit whitesox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. White Sox and Rangers coming up. one ten start, 12.30 pregame show. That means... We had a lot of time to hang out with you, a White Sox fan here on White Sox Weekly. We're going to hang out with Jim Callis in just a moment. He writes prospects for MLB. We're going to talk with him in like 10 seconds. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We pause it real quick. Station ID. From the first Midwest Bank, a division of Old National Bank State Street Studio, this is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago, a good Karma Brands radio station. So this is White Sox Weekly, and uh, we're going to have Jim Callis on in just a little bit. Our phones are being a little goofy. Apparently, they're acting like they're from 1985. Uh, but we'll, in a moment, we'll get And really, you know, I'm taking a shot at 1985, but it was a good year for a lot of people in a lot of different ways, uh, and the movies were fun, too. And that's the other thing. Here's, here's a little inside the White Sox. I was talking to a couple of different players, uh, younger guys, you know, guys who are, you know, maybe in their second or or third year in Major League Baseball. And while I was on the road trip in Tampa, I was talking to a couple of guys. Oh, what have you been up to? You know, what'd you do the off day uh, kind of stuff? There are a number of dudes on this team who have just recently seen Top Gun Maverick, and I mean. <laughs> Full disclosure, I haven't seen the movie yet, so please don't call with spoilers. I, I know Goose dies in the first one. I've seen the first Top Gun maybe a thousand times. It's just one of those movies for me growing up. I, it's the, I saw it a thousand times. And to a man, every White Sox player I spoke with who had seen the movie were talking about this film like it was Shawshank, like it was Casablanca, like it was, you know, just the finest installment of American film that has been put down in years. Uh, and it got me very excited. It got me very, very excited to go see the movie. I was glad that a bunch of uh, young big leaguers got out there to see a little 80s nostalgia, uh, how we've gotten on this particular tangent. I'm not 100% sure, uh, but I did want to tell you that a couple of White Sox players have all gone to see, or have, have gone to see, I don't know if they went to see together, uh, Top Gun Maverick, and they really, really enjoyed it. That's actually not a pitch for the movie, but I guess it could be. 312-332-3776 as we get the uh, the guest phone line sorted out. You want to chat a little White Sox, we're here to do it with you. Jim Callis is going to join us in just a little bit. Looking forward to that conversation. I, I, I'm going to, and I, I suppose I could preview it here with you uh, before we have Jim on the line. I, I want to talk prospects with him because, obviously, Rick Hahn mentioned Yolbert Sanchez and Lenin Sosa as potential contributors to the 2022 White Sox. Um, and I guess we can do that now with uh, with Jim, who's uh, now on the line. Jim, appreciate you hanging through some of the phone issues. Thanks so much. Uh, no truly, truly love the work and can't wait to talk White Sox prospects with you here. How are you, sir? 
I'm doing good. How are you? Wonderful. Um, I wanted to start with, with Davis Martin, believe it or not. We'll talk about the guys with helium and, and infield action and all that kind of stuff in a bit, but I, I'm interested in how your job works when you see a guy like Davis, you know, kind of in the middle of a system that is toward the bottom of the league, break in the way he has, get sent back down, and then make a couple of good quality starts with the stuff he does. How does... Davis's performance in the big leagues over the last little bit kind of affect how you either re-rank or re-evaluate a prospect in real time. Yeah, well, it's funny in his case because so we we update our list. I mean, it, it's weird how we update our list. It looks like they're constantly updated. In one way, they are. When a guy graduates to the big leagues, like loses his rookie status, that then we take him off our prospect list. So, like earlier this year. When Jake Berger, I think it was Jake Berger, got, I think he went over 131 at-bats, or, or it was 46 days of service time, he comes off our list and we replace him. And I put Davis Martin on the list, and ironically, I think it was right before he even pitched in the big leagues. But once you're on the list, you don't really move until we do our midseason update. But, but with Davis, what's interesting about him is, you know, we usually when we add a guy, we add him. Uh, you know, at the very bottom of the list, or maybe we'll put him at like 27 if the guys at the bottom of the list are hurt or struggling or whatever. And we put Davis, uh, you know, I do our White Sox list. I put him at 15th on our White Sox list just because his, his profile has increased so much this year. Um, yeah, I remember him uh, from the College World Series. He was a big part of Texas Tech's team. And then he had shoulder tendonitis as a sophomore and, and kind of faded as a junior. And that's why he went in the 14th round. And I mean, uh, you know, you follow the White Sox system. I follow the White Sox system. He he really didn't do much in his first two full pro seasons. You know, in 19 and then come back from pandemic. It's just okay. You know, he missed some bats, but he got hit around. And then this year, it just seems like I don't know that the stuff is that much, like it's taken a huge leap. I don't think it's so much that. You know, the, the fastball plays really well. Uh, you know, the slider plays well off the fastball. He, he's willing to throw his change up. But, you know, he's always throwing a stride. I just think he's commanding his stuff better. But he's, he's been impressive. And, and so then to answer your question, so we don't really adjust the list until August at this point. But, I mean, if we were re-ranking the list – you know, I think Davis Martin would be, you know, somewhere probably in the in the back half of the top ten right now. How do you? At what box do you guys check to measure that a prospect has learned how to get guys out with the stuff he has? Because that that's kind of what I've seen from Davis in the couple of starts that he's made up here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a case where you can look at, you know, the the, the, the statistics tell you that story. You know, because like I said, he's had good stuff. Mm. He just in the past, you know, in 2019, he had a 504 ERA in low A, and then he came back after the pandemic, and he had a, a 491 ERA between high A and double A. He pitched a little bit better at double A toward the end of the year. Um, but you could just see, I mean, he's not giving up as many hits. Um, you know, the strikeout-to-walk ratio is better. I, you know, I mean, you can get reports on the stuff, but I think the statistics in, in this case, you know, in terms of, of being able to get guys out, the statistics will tell you that story. Talking with Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline, MLB.com, one of our favorites here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, Jim, I, you know, Rick Hahn the other day did the thing that I think gets all fans and, and prospects writers interested. He said <laughs> names of prospects and a calendar year. And for Gilbert Sanchez and Lenin Sosa, that calendar year was 2022, and he said their names. Uh, what are the thumbnail reports on, on Yolbert and on Lenin? Why is it that uh, a general manager like Rick Hahn actually attached the calendar year of 2022 to those two players? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a result of the way they're playing, and, and obviously they haven't been getting a lot of production out, out of second base. It's one of the biggest holes on the team. Um, you know, I, I know Mancata's been hurt too, but you know, with Sanchez, you know, it's interesting because when they signed him, my my reports I was getting from international scouts were that this was kind of a glove first guy, and you weren't sure how much of a bat there really was, and. You know, like a lot of Cubans, you know, for tax reasons, he went to the Dominican Summer League after he signed, and he was 22 years old, so the Dominican Summer League was not really any kind of test. And then the pandemic came. So, you, you, you know, we really didn't know much about Yolbert Sanchez, honestly, in terms of on-field performance until he came back last year. And he came out, and he hit 300, including 340-something in A, And he, he's come out this year, and he, and he was raking again to start the season in A, and he's continued to hit in, in AAA. And, you know, I mean, he's shown that he's got, you know, very good bat-to-ball skills, some of the best bat-to-ball skills in the organization. I think he's more of a, a steady than a plus defender at, at short, you know, probably solid at second base. Um, you know, not a big power guy, but, um, you know, he's got some strength and bat speed. And, um, so, so he's a guy who, uh, at least the initial reports I got of him, <laughs> turned out to, to be totally different from the player he's turned out to be. And then with, with Lunin Sosa, he's a guy they've always liked. I mean, they signed him, you know, when he was 16 years old out of Venezuela in 2016. And when you sign guys that young, they take a while to progress. And you know, he made his full season debut in 2019. You know, he's a teenager. He's still really young. And, you know, the reports have always been, you know, he's really good hand-eye coordination. He's got basketball ability, too. I think he's got more pop than Sanchez. And really with him, the, the, the key was, you know, and I think in his defense he was young for his levels a lot, was just making better swing decisions. I mean, he, you know, can put the bat on the ball, but he, you know, struck out about four or five times as much as he walked. And that's obviously going to be more of a problem when you climb the ladder and you face more advanced pitchers. But you look at this year, I mean, he's got 14 walks in 53 games, and he walked 16 times all last season. I mean, he's not... You know, it's not a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio, but it's much more manageable. You know, he's hitting three forty-two. You know, he's got twelve home runs and about a third of a equivalent of a third of a major league season. So I think with with him, I think we've always known that talent was in there. It was just whether he was going to be able to to make those better swing decisions. And to be fair, you know, even though he feels like he's been around forever, he's still just twenty-two years old, and he's in Double A, so he's still very young for the league. And I think he's just kind of, you know kind of catching his breath and and you know i think this is a guy who could hit 275 you know 15 you know maybe even 20 homers a season you know once he hits his stride in the big league so you know i, I think the reason rick brought both these guys up is they're both playing exceptionally well you know in the upper levels of the minors right now jim are there prospects and and i think lenin and yolbert both kind of um I don't know, click the radar for this, but aren't necessarily guys that, that are, are vulnerable to this. Are there guys who you, who you see flags on that, that could be more hurt or vulnerable to being rushed than others? What are some shared characteristics of guys who, who might have been thrown into or thrust into too much too soon? Uh, how do you protect against that as an organization? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be careful. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is looking at youth and experience. And, you know, the, the tough thing is with the pandemic, everybody lost a year. I mean, even if you went to the alternate site, that's not the equivalent of playing a full minor league season. Yeah, you might have gotten some at-bats against pro pitchers, but you're essentially seeing the same pro pitchers day after day. You're not seeing a whole variety of guys, and you're not really – I mean, I guess they were keeping stats, but it's not the same. It, it, it's not game intensity. I mean, a lot of these places you had coaches playing the outfield because they didn't have enough bodies. So it, 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 it's not the same. And, you know, teams had to be – you know, it, it was kind of a conundrum. You know, what do you do? Do you put a guy – 
where he would have picked up in 2020 had 2020 existed? Or do you say, hey, the guy would have been in high A in 2020 and we'll move him to double A in 2021? And I, I think teams take different paths uh, with guys. Um, but, yeah, yeah I, I, to me, I, I've always thought, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm getting old now, Connor. I'm, I'm in my 50s. I've covered this stuff for 30 years. I think it's a lot easier to destroy a guy's confidence than it is to build him back up. So I, I think you generally see teams – Air on the side of caution. I mean, like you can even, I'll give you an example just with the White Sox this year. I mean, Oscar Colas, and now granted, you know, his background is different than most 23-year-olds because he was in Japan and in the minors over there and didn't play a lot in the majors. But, you know, again, he is 23 years old. They gave him big money. You know, you could easily said, okay, he's 23. Well, let's throw him in double A. And instead, you know, they've, they've let him start off in high A and get off to a good start. And, you know, you could promote him to double A in the second half. But I, I, th- I do think you kind of have to look at guys individually. But if you're looking for something in general, I, I would just look at age and level of experience. You know, I mean, you, you probably hear it from fans, too, who, who you know what you do, who are like, oh, why hasn't this prospect been promoted? You know, he's tearing it up for six weeks in low A to start the season. And, you know, I, I think you want to give the guys a foundation. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, if you're looking uh, for maybe from a statistical standpoint, yeah, I, I look at strikeout-to-walk ratio because I think that shows how well a hitter or a pitcher commands the strike zone. And if a guy's not commanding the strike zone and you promote him, you know, sometimes that doesn't go well. I mean, I'll, I'll throw out an old reference from 20 years ago, but when Corey Patterson was coming up through the Cubs system, you know, and he was, you know, early pick in the draft and, you know, near the top of everybody's top 100 list and, you know, looked like he had the tools, and he did have the tools to potentially be a superstar. And the Cubs at that time kept promoting him you know, they, 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 I mean, I've done Cubs prospect stuff for years, and it would always be like, hey, he really needs to work on the strike zone. He needs to work on this and that. But they never made him work on that stuff, and they'd promote him. And he got to the big leagues, and he, and he never really realized his potential. I, you know, I always say, Jim, you know, if, if people ask about prospects, and I'm no prospect hound or anything, but never scout the stat line. But if you're going to look at one, maybe look at strikeout-to-walk ratio. I, I think that axiom, too, that you mentioned about confidence and players – you, you read my mind. I was going straight to Oscar Colas. I, I guess, you know, since you have talked about him a, a little bit here, has he checked the boxes? Yeah, has passed the smell test, the, the sniff test, or whichever test that you like to use your <laughs> senses with and prospects? Yeah, I think he has. I mean, he's had, I mean, it's not like he's hitting 350, but, you know, again, you have to realize his, his background was different. You know, he spent three years in Japanese minor leagues. I think he played seven games in Japanese big leagues. So it, it's not like he was a, a Japanese big leaguer. And then, you know, he didn't play in 2021 when he was waiting to sign with the White Sox. And, and you also have to factor that in, too, with the, with the Cubans. I mean, the difference for him with some of the Cubans is he'd been paid some money. He had played abroad before. So he was, it wasn't as big of a culture shock leaving Cuba, coming to the U.S. because he'd been to Japan. But you know, just adjusting to baseball. Most of these guys do have a layoff, and, and adjusting back to playing the game against good competition can be tough. So, like, I, I think they're doing kind of what I expect. I mean, kind of what they did with Suspetis last year, although Suspetis was a little different because there were some visa issues they had to resolve first, and then I, I think, what was it, a shoulder injury? Like, so he was DHing some, but they eventually promoted him to Double A. You know, later in the season, and my guess would be that that some. You know, maybe a midseason or a little later, we'll see Coloss in Double A. But like again, if you throw Oscar Coloss in Double A, and he hits two twenty, let's say he's striking out more than you like, you know, then it's tough because because you also get stuck, like. You know, if you send him down, you know, that can be a blow to the guy's confidence. But if you let him keep getting eaten up in, in, in double A, 
you know, if that was what you were doing, that can be a blow to his confidence. And I'll give you another example. I don't know why <laughs> old Chicago team outfielders are popping my head, but Courtney Hawkins, your first-round pick in 2012. Mm-hmm. And in his pro debut, he wound up going up to high A, even though he's coming out of high school at the end of the season, was part of a playoff run, and he had played well at three levels. And they sent Courtney Hawkins to high A at age 19 for his first full season. And he hit 178, and he had about a 40% strikeout rate. And they sent him back to high A. So that was a blow in 2014. He really didn't perform much better, and he really never got back on track. So I just it, – it, it's very difficult, and, and I think you're better off slow-playing guys at the beginning and then letting their performance dictate how fast they move. I was talking with Chris Getz a couple of months ago, and I asked him whether or not the term helium was still the the most popular term with prospects on the rise, and he said he couldn't come up with a different one. I I wonder if you've heard anything different. And if you have, uh, does that term attach to anyone other than Brian Ramos more in the White Sox system? I know a lot of White Sox fans have asked about Ramos. He's at uh, high A, third base, second base. Is is that the guy that you would say, yeah, that could be that dude. He's got the most helium in that system. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair, you know, especially if you, you look at his level of fame uh, you know, coming into the year. And, and, yeah, helium is still the term everybody uses. We're still using that? Okay, We're all right. We're still I, using that. I, 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 I will say, like, when I write a mock draft, like, <laughs> like this will sound funny, like, like, the hardest part of the mock draft sometimes isn't so much, like, figuring out how to organize information. It's how to, like, write this team's on this guy or this guy's got helium, you know, different ways. So you're not using helium, like, eight times in a mock draft. Exactly. So I'll, like, I'll slip in in draft parlance, like, the guy's rising up draft boards or helping his cause. But, but helium is still the go-to term. And, and yeah, Ramos is, is a really good call. And, and you know, it's interesting because before the pandemic, he had a pretty solid debut as a 17-year-old in the Arizona League. And, you know, a lot of times he was, I think, the third youngest regular player in the Arizona League, the whole league, not just the White Sox. And, you know, generally when you sign a guy, you're at 17, you'll send him to the Dominican Summer League. So he was kind of advanced. And then, okay, he lost, you know, a year to the pandemic, didn't get to play in games. And then last year he had shoulder issues, too, last year. And so he had to DH a lot at the beginning of last year. And, you know, had a pretty respectable year. I mean, he had 244, but he had a 760 ops. He had had, you know, 42 extra base hits. He controlled the strike zone reasonably well in low A at age, I guess that would have been 19, you know, which is impressive. And, you know, again, because, I, you know, it wasn't loud, loud numbers. I think he kind of flew under the radar, and, you know, and the White Sox signed Oscar Colas, and Jose Rodriguez had a big year, and, you know, they drafted Colson Montgomery, and, and he kind of got bypassed. Yeah, you know, just in terms of name recognition, I think, in the system. But he was a guy, if you talk to the White Sox, they always would bring up, hey, this guy's one of our better young hitters you know, in the entire system. And I think he's showing that this year. I mean, he's still you know, super young. I mean, he, he turned 20. He's not only 20, he turned 20 in March. So, I mean, it's a young 20. And he's hitting 280 in high A. He's already got nine home runs, which is almost as many as he had last year. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's a guy. It's interesting just looking at our – our White Sox list, if we were re-ranking them again today, I think you can make a case for Brian Ramos maybe being in the top five. Well, that's a tease, Jim. When does the midseason re-ranking and all of your work start over again for <laughs> prospects? Well, it's different now with the draft. Before yeah. the draft moved to July, we would update this stuff in mid-July before the trade deadline. But now the draft is literally in mid-July. And then the signing deadline for the draft, I think, I can't remember if it's exactly August 1st, right around there. So basically it'll be a week or two after the signing deadline for the draft, which is unfortunate because, I I mean, I know everybody at MLB.com who does this stuff, 
we liked updating them. So you had updated lists before the trade deadline, so you, you had everybody's rankings. Right. But it's just it's impossible because, I mean, the draft won't even end till July 19th. And, I mean, like, A, we don't have the manpower to do both the draft and be updating our list. But even if we, you know, wanted to say, like, whoever the White Sox take in the first round, we'll provisionally put him in the list. And then if he doesn't sign, like, a Kumar Rocker situation, we'll pull him off, which would be goofy. Um we just don't have, because the draft is so late, we don't have the time to like really dive in and work on all the lists until the draft's over. So, unfortunately, it won't be until probably early August. Well, we will obsess about it either way. And, Jim, if I promise you uh, that I can come up with three synonyms for this guy has helium, will you set aside some time for White Sox Weekly after you've re-ranked the lists? Definitely. If you come up with a good synonym, I will even work it into a, a mock draft. Depending on when you give me these synonyms, I'll, I'll, I'll slide. I will guarantee to slide at least one of them into my next mock draft. I'll, I'll hit up the DMs, Jim. I appreciate it. There you go. Perfect. Right. It was fun talking to you. Always a pleasure, Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline. One of the best to do it. Love. Love talking prospects with Jim. I would imagine that if you tuned in halfway through that interview or if you caught parts of it or maybe you had to leave after it, uh, you know, go handle the kids and then bring them back in from the house or something like that or into the house, I guess, uh, that interview will be available to you on the ESPN Chicago app. Uh, all of our White Sox weeklies are downloadable in podcast form, and that's one you're going to want to keep handy with you because if you're like, you know, you're out having a drink with some friends and talking White Sox prospects, you're like, oh, well, I think Brian Ramos is pretty good. And your buddy's like, oh, I don't know about Brian Ramos. You pop up on the podcast, you know, here's what Connor and Jim Callis were talking about with Brian Ramos. That'll, that'll win you points. That'll win you points in your White Sox uh, friend groups because that's what you want is points there. We're going to talk with Jake Berger in a little bit. He just got done hitting in the cage. The Rangers are taking infield and uh, hanging out, getting ready for the game today. Martin Perez and Lucas Giolito, the two starters in this one, game two of this three-game series. Uh, After a quick break, Jake Berger of your Chicago White Sox. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Welcome back. It's White Sox Weekly. You can join us for Family Sundays at Guaranteed Rate Field. Bring your family out there for tickets starting at just 10 bucks. parking for only 15 It's a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit whitesox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. One of my favorite things about Family Sundays are watching the kids run around the bases. It's always a blast. I know uh, one guy who I, I think... I saw watching kids run the bases for just a brief moment down in Tampa when the Rays had the kids running around is Jake Berger. He's on the phone with us now. Jake, I, I think I saw you in the dugout for a brief moment watching the kids run around, and I, I'm pretty, I know for a fact Liam Hendricks was actually running around the bases with children while we were in Tampa. It was a lot of fun to watch. How are you, my man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, yeah. I was, I was watching. You know, it's a, it's a kid's game, so you got to uh, remind yourself sometimes of that. It's the best. I always I get worried because the kid they get so excited rounding third and heading home and there are so many near collisions near the plate. I'm just so like whether it's the White Sox or the Rays there are always like all the attendants around home plates to make sure that when when a child takes a header that they're going to be okay they're going to get up and realize they enjoyed themselves and they're just fine because they're kids and they're pliable and they'll be okay. Exactly. Exactly. It's, you see so many collisions around there. It's it's dangerous but it's a lot of fun. Okay, so we're going to do something kind of goofy on the interview today. I'm going to prep you for a question that I'm going to ask toward the end 
because I kind of want you working it over and thinking about it some, and then we'll you know talk baseball and the rest of the boring stuff. Toward right. the end of the interview, Jake, I am going to ask you, what is the one thing you have never tried but are unreasonably confident you'd be good at? One thing you've never tried but are unreasonably confident that you'd be good at. So okay. bake that in the noodle, and we'll talk about it coming up a little bit later. Uh, how does one start a two-out, five-run rally uh, against the Rangers in the eighth inning last night? Take me through busting it down to first and getting things started for your squad last night. <laughs> well, first, you have to hit it in the right spot. Um, you know, it's uh, 60 miles off, an hour off the bat, so, um, you know, you see it come off and you, you, you kind of have an awareness of um, where, you know, maybe this is a tough play. Like I got to dig a little, little extra, um, but you know I me, mean? I'm going to go hundred percent all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I take pride in that um, in my effort down the line and um, you know, it, it makes a tough play. It, it rattles the defense and Miguel Cairo always talks about that, you know, put pressure on the defense, no matter what, um, because you never know what's going to happen. And um, fortunate enough, um, you know, I, I, I was safe. And then we, we started that two-out rally. Who told you it was 60 off the bat? Uh, the, the iPad. I, uh, I I think it was like 66 miles an hour off the bat. Um, you know, it's not, not what I'm accustomed to, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they all count the same, right? I will, I will only tell you this because you've been hitting 440-foot taters over the last two weeks. Baseball Savant has it at 40. <laughs> I, I mean, even better. <laughs> even better <laughs> how is um you know how's the last week and a half been or so yeah you know, I, I i obviously the series against the dodgers didn't go the way you guys wanted you won the last two against tampa and and it felt like you know there it is there's that squad again the, the dodgers are a very good ball club and they'll put it on anybody but i know that you know this has kind of been a season of uh, you take some lumps, you bounce right back. You, you guys have been around that 500 mark and never out of the division all season long. Um, how does the how do the up and downs weigh on on this team as a whole? You know, I, I think we talked about it last night. Um, I was talking to Josh Harrison and AJ Pollock, and it's like, hey man, like we feel really confident right now. You know, I, I think we're we're starting to click on all cylinders, and um, you know, I mean. You look at the game, uh, the last game against the Dodgers, you know, kept battling back, kept battling back. And, um, you know, I mean, realistically, you know, if, um, if we don't have, um, you know, either my air in that game or, or stuff like that, you know, I mean, we, we could have won that series and if not swept that series. So uh, that tells us we're, we're right where we need to be um, against one of the best clubs in, in all of baseball. Um, you know, we go to Tampa, take two down there, um, you know, so – I think uh, we're, we're trending in the right direction and we're, we're confident in ourselves. Um, and I was talking to Tony, it's, it's all about guts, you know. Um, you know, sometimes your offense is going to struggle, sometimes your pitching is going to struggle, sometimes your defense is going to struggle. But as long as you have the guts and, and you don't just roll over and, uh, you know, let, let the other team just take it, um, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a good formula, winning formula for the end of the season. You're a guy who is talk with Jake Berger here on White Sox Weekly. You're a guy who is no stranger to bouncing back from things that didn't go your way. Obviously, the the injury history that White Sox fans are, are very familiar with that you've talked about a lot, whether it's on your own pod or or here on the show a couple of times. Does your work? I know you've DH'd over the last couple of days, so maybe that changes your pregame routine a little bit when you've got a different position. But when you do have a tough one like that and an error. 
do you change? Do you go attack that play when you take infield the next day? Do you um, do you change it or, or alter at all what you're trying to get better on for the next day? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I watch a ton of video, and um, you know, you can you can kind of see clearly on video uh, what you do wrong if it's your pre pitch or your first step or a misread, whatever it may be. Um, and so you have to analyze that, and then. The next time that play is hit to you, you you have a better understanding of, of what um, you need to do and where you need to put your body. So um, that's kind of how I work on it. And like, if I'm having trouble with you know like high choppers um, with like a short pick, I'll, I'll work on that. Um, that play the other day is kind of tough to simulate because um, yeah. it was hit hard and it hit low and then it kind of kicked up on me. So. Um, it's hard to simulate that, but, um, you know, I, I, I really just try and like get my hands working again. Like after that, you know, I'll, I'll do a whole hands routine with, with Joe and, um, you know, just try and do that as much as I can. Um, especially, you know, when you're playing third base every three, four days, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's the hot corner for a reason and, uh, you have to keep your hands ready, um, no matter what. How, what are your conversations with Yoan Moncada like uh, when you guys are either taking ground balls out there or, or sitting in the dugout? You know, what, in what way and, and what do you guys like to talk about? Whether it's um, you know defensively at third base, I guess is where you guys share the most in common. But you're also both of you facing 95 mile an hour. No, 95. I, I'm sure you wish you were facing 95, 99, 101 mile an hour <laughs> fastballs on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's been super helpful over at third base. Um, you know. He, He's one of the best defenders in the game, um, in my opinion. And so just learning from him every day, um, both just watching him do his work, but also him, you know, kind of making sure I'm, uh, I'm being smooth and, and not too choppy. Um, I think that's, that's where I get in trouble is uh, sometimes I look like a robot um, when I'm out there instead of, you know, being smooth and let, letting my hands work and trusting my hands. Um, he's been a big, big help uh, in that way. One of the things that we've been talking about with everybody on, on White Sox Weeklies um, are about what might be happening next season in Major League Baseball. Um, and I find it really interesting to talk with guys like uh, like you and with Davis and with, with Gavin, um, among others, who have recently played minor league ball because some of these rules changes are there already and you've had you know real-world experience with it. Are you... Where does Jake Berger stand on the potential of banning the shift in Major League Baseball? Um, I I could honestly care less. Really? Um, yeah, I, I'm not. You know, I think left-handed bats. Um, you know, like, like Gavin um, probably have a better understanding of that. Um, but you don't see the shortstop playing in shallow left field um, for us. You know, yeah. I think I think it affects lefties a little more because you're taking away line drive hits um but yeah I, I don't really have an opinion i think i like the the abs the automated balls and strikes um and i like the pace of play thing they did down there um because you you don't you hardly play a game over three hours um it's like speed speed ball it feels like yeah. um i like both of those implementations but the shift that you know I'm, I, I could care less either way Interesting. I'm I'm glad you brought up the ABS and the and the timekeeping thing too. I think that you know this is my perspective. Obviously, less time on the field for you guys keeps you healthier, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's that's first and foremost when you're kind of talking about shorter games. I, I would imagine where you're headed. Yeah. I would also guess that like 
you know, if you're going to face a short reliever, right, and and you're that first guy up to lead off the inning against, like, I don't know, Chapman or something like that, if he only has 13 seconds in between pitches, it's got to be harder for him to get up to 99 in each mm-hmm. next pitch, which means even if you're, you know, you're one and two, and then he's got to come with you, or two and one, and he's got to come to you with that, that fastball, Maybe it's 96, and it's not 98, and that's that much easier to get to. I see that as a, as a huge potential change in this game. Is Am I am yeah. I on point? Yeah, yeah, you are. Um, I, I think, first and foremost, the injury thing's huge. You know, um, if you're not standing on your feet for four hours, uh, I mean, it's three hours, you know. I mean, that, what's that through 162? Um, you know, and so... Uh, that side of it. And then also, I mean, they, they do a good job where you can have two disengagements um, from the rubber. So, like, say it is a one-two and he, he feels a little rushed, yeah. um, he can step off um, and, and it resets the clock. Um, so, you know, you don't you don't really put a pitcher um, at injury risk in that way. Um, and I, I was a fan of it. It was, it was fast-paced for sure um, when I first got, like, got got used to it um but once once i got used to it it was it was pretty pretty nice see you know here's the other thing i'm thinking you guys this generation of players catches so much stuff stuff i have to say stuff i almost got was get carried away jake uh <laughs> you guys catch so much about uh you only you're only playing 140 games or ah uh, you know he's not playing 162 like hank aaron did or like willie mays did they didn't play four-hour games Every mm-hmm. single day, I, I, that is a big change. How many more games could you play if you were playing, you know, two forty-five on a on a call it five days a week? Yeah, no. Then there were some games down there too that were like two hours and fifteen minutes, and you're oh like, oh, did I just that's a baseball game? Did it work? <laughs> yeah, I get paid for this. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it it's good both for the fans and and for the players. Um, you know. I, Obviously, there's some uh, like diehard baseball fans that are like, no, I want the traditional three and a half, four hour games. Um, but overall, you know, I mean, especially the younger generations now, it's everything's instant gratification. Um, and I think if you make the games a little quicker, I think baseball, um, you know, kind of draw in that that younger crowd again. Yeah, well, I, there's diehard football fans who want to see the quarterback allowed to get killed, and they're still watching football every Sunday too. Yep. So. <laughs> All right, uh, last one. Here it is. This is this is the question we led you off with. What is Jake Berger? One thing you have never tried, but are unreasonably confident that you'd be good at. I think I could go to a chess tournament and win that tournament. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Okay, so clearly you've played chess before, but you never played in a chess tournament. Yeah, so that's where the the difference is, right? No, that makes you said sense. Something you've never done before, that's, which is yep. in a tournament. First of all, love you finding the loophole in the question. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's like that's classic ball player stuff. What what would make you? What makes you so confident you could win in a tournament? Uh, you know, I think I think I'd probably. Uh... I got a couple moves up my sleeve that I've been practicing for a while. Um, you know, some defense setup. Okay. And so, all right. Um, you know, I, I I think if I gave it a go, I think I'd, I'd have a chance. Um, you know, I'm not going to go up against the best of the best, and when I'd probably get checkmate in like three moves. But um, you know, I, I I think the tournament. I you know I I just I'm confident in my abilities. All right. 
All right. When I see you tomorrow in the clubhouse, I will have found you a local chess tournament you can enter on an off day. All right. Perfect. <laughs> Jake, appreciate you, my man. Have a good one today. Thank you so much. Jake Berger of your Chicago White Sox. That is the last thing I expected Jake to say. That is that's just the last thing. That's awesome. He thinks he could win a chess tournament. I am going to find we have an entire team of uh, of of producers, of engineers, of research staff here at the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network and we are now currently our number one priority is finding a local chess tournament during a White Sox off day that he can get into. That is that is the number one priority now and we are bringing him are you marking my words? Mark my words. I am bringing him an entry slip for this chess tournament the next time I see him as soon as we find it. That's happening. That is at, Sox fans, join us for Southside Mondays, presented by United Airlines on Monday, June 20th. Every Monday home game, watch the Sox rep the Southside jerseys and honor small businesses making an impact on the Southside. Each Southside Monday ticket includes up to $20 in concession credit added to your mobile ticket to purchase Visit whitesocks.com slash Mondays. We're having one heck of a White Sox weekly this morning. An absolute ton of fun. We talked to Jim Callis about White Sox prospects. We just got off the phone with Jake Berger. I've got more up my sleeve. Len Casper and Darren Jackson and A.J. Pruszynski had an absolute whale of a baseball conversation during a game the other day. During a broadcast, A.J. was cool enough to stop by and hang out for like like eight outs, nine outs, or something like that. We're going to play that for you in a little bit. Um, I want to dig into a couple of things on the field that we've seen uh, from the White Sox and a bit into this pitching matchup today. I think it's a really good one. Martin Perez and Lucas Giolito. Of course, if you want to talk White Sox, 312-332-3776. That's the number. I'm Connor McKnight. You got White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Recap the game. Cap and Jay Hood. Mornings on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We are live at Guaranteed Rate Field. It has been, uh, I think it's been really fun first hour of the show. It's kind of flown by. We were talking White Sox to start things off. Just, uh, you know, kind of revisiting last night's game. A little bit about that series Against the Dodgers, we talked with Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline and chatted up about White Sox prospects. You know, I, we've seen a couple of things on Twitter, and I apologize. I, we didn't bring up Colson Montgomery, the number one overall pick for the White Sox just last year. Uh, with, with Jim, he's just he's so knowledgeable about every single minor leaguer in every single system. And I thought, you know, asking him about the number one guy, Colson uh, who, who is playing well, mind you, uh, kind of, I, I just kind of assumed White Sox fans, eh, we're good with Colson. He's got a lot of time to get here, everything like that. Uh, I thought it was more interesting to get into some of the others. We will, I promise you, we'll, we'll talk with Jim Callis. Um, August, I think he said early August is when the MLB Pipeline re-ranks the, uh, the minor league rankings, the prospect rankings in each system. So once that re-rank has happened, we'll have Jim back on and we'll revisit uh, some of the prospects that get added via the draft, if possible. And we'll talk about uh, some of the prospects that get added to other systems and moved around as the, the trade deadline pops up, too. Um, Jim mentioned, too, that the, the prospect re-ranks, they've kind of targeted at MLB um, to hit before that deadline, 
the, the trade deadline so that when fans go on and, and check your prospect ranks and stuff like that, you've got an updated list of who your team has traded away and who they're picking up and, and all this kind of stuff. It, it's a brilliant strategy, obviously, but the timing of that draft and, and re-ranking the prospects and uh, the trade deadline doesn't necessarily line up for it. So we're going to plan, you know, for those of you who are like, oh, talk more prospects. I get it. I mean, it's one of the more fun things about baseball. Um, we we will plan for that conversation a little bit after the deadline, maybe a week or two after the deadline, something like that. So if you're if you're thinking about it, if you're on to it, and I appreciate everybody hopping on on Twitter and uh, and saying you appreciated the conversation. Uh, of course you did. It's Jim Callis. He's absolutely fantastic. Uh, we talked with Jake Berger for a little while. He was great. Tons of fun. Uh, we've got to hit a break because of how long the conversation went with uh, Jake Berger and how much fun we were having there. While I'm in the break, I will be looking up open chess tournaments for Jake Berger to enter. Uh, might be that uh, one is a lot closer than we think. Might be that one's a little bit more uh, convenient for Jake to make. Uh, it, it, it could be that the powers that be are inventing chess tournaments to hold, I don't know, here around 35th and Shields and, and seeing what's going on. Could be the case. Could be the case. Wouldn't be able to tell you. Uh, we will also, uh, at, at noon, bring you a conversation that Len Casper, Darren Jackson, and A.J. Pierzynski had during the broadcast just a couple of days ago. I, I, I thought it was one of the finer baseball conversations I've heard in a real long time. The guys got into stuff you don't often hear talked about in depth, so that's coming up at noon. We'll talk White Sox with you when we come back. 312-332-3776. That's the number on White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. What's up? The White Sox and Rangers coming up. Game two of three in this series. Sox won the first one. Eight to three last night. They increased their record, or bettered their record, I should say, to 27 and 29. Two games under 500. Five back in the AL Central. The Guardians are three back of the Twins. Byron Buxton is playing very well for Minnesota, but the Twins caught some tough injury news. Yesterday, their top prospect, Royce Lewis, needs another ACL surgery. I I haven't had the chance to talk to Royce Lewis, uh, but Dan Hayes of The Athletic, he covers the Minnesota Twins, and you might remember the Dan, Hay- Dan Hayes' name. Uh, he covered the White Sox for about a decade here uh, in town, locally. He's one hell of a beat reporter and, and a good dude, too. He was just writing uh, about the injury to Royce, and Honestly, it got me thinking a little bit about Jake Berger, uh, the guy just we just interviewed here on White Sox Weekly. Jake had those two Achilles tears. Uh, the setbacks were there. And throughout, one of the things that Rick Hahn, White Sox general manager, kept saying about Jake, and, and it's true if you've ever spent time with him or talked to him, he's just, you know, and, and I think Rick actually said, you know, if I'm not, I might just be paraphrasing, but in, a, in an awful way, it couldn't have happened to a better guy there's nobody with the mental resilience uh, that has the ability to come back from this like Jake. I, I think Royce Lewis of the Twins might fall under that category. I mentioned Dan Hayes, and I was kind of reading some of his coverage of it. Royce had torn an ACL. It cost him almost all of, of the last season. Um, he has more damage to that ACL. He'll have to do it again. And the, the attitude that he's had has just been just un failingly upbeat and i don't understand how a guy has you know the, the the livelihood threatened you know the ability and all that kind of stuff i wouldn't be able to do it uh jake Berger has royce lewis seems to have it and and hopefully you know you hope for the best there for those kind of players and, and the reason i, I kind of got to thinking about injuries at this point is because up and down this game you know whether it be to contenders or teams looking to make a push 
and and get back to 500 for the first time in a couple of seasons or you know really establish a foothold with their young prospects um like a couple of teams in this division in the AL Central like the the Royals and you know even the Guardians to a certain degree have had there've been injuries um up and down and i just in in thinking about it, in thinking about you know some of the things we talked with Jake about about the time of game and just how long guys are out there, how that does influence injuries, and it's not a situation where guys are are whining and aren't tough enough, you know, of, of, to be out there the way you're, the players of old were. Listen, these, these guys are playing four hour and fifteen minute games, and that's just not a thing that that Steve Sachs had to deal with, and it's not a thing that Ozzie Guillen had to deal with, and it's, yes, there were more physical elements of the game of baseball, that is absolutely true, but those collisions were a little bit more one-off, and these you know, the, the time on the field kind of wear and tear injuries are uh, quite frankly unavoidable to players, and I, I guess the long and short of it is, it seems to me that we, as a as a baseball watching, you know, entity and, and as the sport, we're not done dealing with and, and kind of still uh, experiencing the cascade effect of the 2020 season of that injury of that uh, pandemic shortened season. Um, we're, we're still not done kind of feeling the effects injury wise of the 99 day lockout, the shortened spring training and things like that. And I, I bring it up just because, I think when we talk about injuries in this sport and in others too, I, I think we tend to be, it, it's easy to say, ah, this guy can't do this or this guy can't do that or look at what he's, and this is, you know, I, I just think, I, I hope we can just kind of change the way we talk about it some is all. I, I hope we can kind of accept that, you know, this, this happens to guys and, and we need to be able to uh, allow players to bounce back and, and get back into action, get back to their, you know, their next best self. If it, it is a, a catastrophic injury, the way Tommy John or ACL reconstructions can be, all that kind of stuff. Uh, speaking of injuries, one that seems about to end is Lance Lynn. He's expected, uh, not official, official, but expected to be able to make the start Tuesday against the Detroit Tigers. It'll be his Major League debut here in 2022. Uh, I'm actually looking at Lance Lynn right now, former Texas Ranger. He's on the field chatting with some old buddies. Um, Lynn was uh, finished up his AAA rehab work just the other night. And the results weren't pretty, but the workload is, is what Lance was mostly concerned about. And, uh, you know, a guy that's been in the bigs as long as he has, he knows what he needs to compete at the Major League level uh, and feels ready it seems, uh, to do that Tuesday against the Tigers. Hopefully that's a big lift for the White Sox. Um, we'll update you on some other injuries, you know, T.A. and Aloy and all that other kind of stuff uh, as we get closer to the pregame show start at 12.30. we got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, I've been teasing this for a while, and I, I know it's going to pay off. A.J. Pruszynski sat in with Len and D.J. Uh, during a game just a couple of days ago, and the three of them had an absolutely terrific baseball conversation we bring that to you on the other side of a break it's white Sox weekly on the hard rock casino white Sox network we have been teasing this for a while it is a uh, like kind of like last year's pride night t-shirt one of our prized possessions here at the network a real good baseball convo with Len Casper, Darren Jackson, and A.J. Pierzynski. You're going to hear uh, a little bit of uh, some odd edits in this one, and it's only because we had to condense the interview down just a little bit, had to take some of the play-by-play out of it. So if you hear the crowd roar and then the crowd goes away or something like that, it's because we had to chop a few things out of it so that you could hear uh, as much of the baseball conversation these three had as we possibly could. So 
Take it away, Len Casper, Darren Jackson, and A.J. Pierzynski. Well, we have done well against the softer-throwing left-handers. You probably saw that when we faced uh, Yarborough down in Tampa. The White Sox for years have done well against any left-hander, period. So softer, harder, doesn't really matter with the right-hand dominance they have. How'd you feel about facing left-handers compared to right-handers? Did it make a difference to you? It only did because we didn't see him. Like, I hit left-handed, so I didn't see, you know, poor Ozzy when he would give me a day off. It was always against the soft-throwing lefty. <laughs> and I was always told Ozzy, that's the guy I want to face. I don't want to face <laughs> David Price throwing 95. I want to face the guy throwing 85. Can the left-left thing be a self-fulfilling prophecy for some guys in that they just they don't see a lot of lefties? So, you know, you're two for 19, and the guy's, hey, I can't, he can't hit lefties. Well, it starts early, because in the minor leagues, you play against everybody. So you play lefty, righty, doesn't matter, and then you get to the big leagues, and they tell you you can't hit them. And you say, well, I hit them my whole career, my whole life, since high school, little league, whatever you want to call it, and you get here, and you face, I don't know, Randy Johnson, you go 0 for 3, and they're like, yeah, yeah told you you can't hit lefties. <laughs> And then the, the other thing is you have to understand when you get to the major leagues as a left-handed hitter, the lefties you don't get to face are usually the best ones. So those guys are the ones that have the good numbers against lefties because they don't face them either. So when you do see a lefty, I remember we faced Andrew Miller here when he was with the Tigers. And at the time, lefties were like 0 for 40 off him on the year. And he was starting, and Ozzy had me and Erstad in the lineup. And we're like, Ozzy, lefty. He's like, yeah, just... And we both ended up with, like, two hits apiece right. randomly. Like, it just happened that way. And Ozzy's like, see, I knew what I was doing. And we're like, well, we just got lucky. <laughs> but, you know, it just it, it is what it is. But, yes, lefties were definitely different because, you cha- for me as a left-handed hitter, I ch- had to change and I had to learn how to hit a left-handed pitcher. The other theory from some managers, and I know, DJ, you do agree with this, is if you only stack righties, Sometimes it allows that left-hand pitcher just to kind of get in a groove with the changeup, right? I mean, sometimes well, he never has to worry about anything coming exactly. to that other side of the plate and making an adjustment with his delivery. It's yep. always going to be the same. Yep. Mark Burley used to talk about that all the time. Inside 2-0. and oh. He loved it when it was all right-handed hitters. He, he would be like, yes, there's no lefties. Uh-huh. I don't have to worry about throwing sinkers in their lefties. I don't have to worry about sweeping sliders or, or breaking balls away. He's like, I can just focus on one side of the plate and pitch my game, cutters in, change-ups away, and never have to worry about it. So, yeah, that's a thing. Okay, question. Have, have you thought about instructing, managing, doing anything uh, at any level of coaching? <laughs> uh, listen, I, I, I have interest in that at some point if it's the right situation and it's the right place and time. But if someone calls you and says... We want you to manage our team. There's 30 of those guys in the world. Right. It's hard to say no to that opportunity because as a former player, you always second-guess the manager on the bench anyway, so <laughs> you feel like you're already managing the team half the time. What are the one or two tenets of the best qualities of the managers you played for that you would really try to adhere to? The two things that I've learned now – more so not playing, being retired and doing the media. We, I'm very fortunate I still get to meet with the managers and talk to the managers and talk to players. Well, the two things that I've learned now since I've been able to be around a lot of managers and players since I've quit playing is, one, communication is number one. 
you have to be able to communicate with every guy on your roster and let them know where they stand, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is. You tell them, hey, this is what I think I want you to do. This is where your role is, and let them know, and they'll accept it because players are, are they want to know the truth, right? Right, yep. DJ? Absolutely. And then second of all, you put players in a position to succeed as much as you can. Those are the two things that good managers do. You put them in positions to succeed, and you allow them to succeed. Now, you're not always going to do that, Lynn, but if you've communicated with them well enough, you might be able to lie to them a little bit and tell them, and they'll believe you, yeah. even though it's not the best place. But they'll still ride with you. That's good stuff. Uh, it's a topic it, it, that Lynn and I were just talking about yesterday. Uh, you know, I mentioned the same topic about managing and how you handle a bullpen. And so it's interesting. Everything you just kind of said is something he and I were just talking about uh, as, a, as soon as yesterday. In the end, it comes down to if it's something, you know, somebody like yourself and a catcher, and we see how many catchers turn into managers, uh, you know, because you have a different view of the game and you control pitching. Uh, the other one I talked to managers about is you do learn negatively, too. It's not a bad thing at all. Oh, one is grounded foul. It's 0-2, and that is your experiences as a player or sometimes as a minor league manager or a coach, you say, I don't know if I like that. That's one thing I'm not going to do. Now, I'm not asking you to name any names, but if you guys, is there one thing that you would see as a player where you thought, you know, I don't know if I like that? Well, I played for a guy. I'll use his name. Felipe Alou. Okay. In San Francisco. He would sit in his office, never come out, never be around the players. And Moises at the time was playing. He would sit in his office and watch Moises play. And we'd have a game, and you'd never see him until the game started. Wow. Because he was in there. Yeah. Th- th- those are things you got to be. And then the other part, you mentioned the manager being in his office. It, it's got to be a little tricky, right? Because the player's domain is the clubhouse. You want to know the manager is present but not, I guess, leering over your shoulder all the time, right? There's well, you stay out of the club. I think DJ yeah. would agree. You stay out of the clubhouse right. as much as you can. But during batting practice, you can talk to guys. You can walk around. During plane flights, you can talk to guys. You know, when they get on the plane or during the plane flights, you, there's a lot of time spent, a lot of downtime. You, you know what, AJ? Would, I think you could do it, but the media stuff. Oh, that's... You'd be great at it, but you'd probably say some stuff that your players would not like, and that might be okay with you, too. Well, who, did I, wait, wait, who did I play for in Chicago? <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, what was his, uh, well, you no, know, it wasn't Robin Ventura. I know that. <laughs> you know, I, after this pitch, I want to... Vaughn takes a strike. Cut in. But think about uh, AJ would say something maybe the players didn't appreciate, but they would know that's AJ. If AJ yeah. said it, they'd already he'd already had conversations sure. with his players and probably told them to be accountable. Yeah. And therefore, he would say the truth. I just thought that conversation between the three guys, Len and DJ and AJ, was such a good one. There was a lot more, too, because AJ stuck around for, for most of the half of the inning, uh, most of the next half of the inning, I should say. Um, I'll, I'll retell, I guess, a little bit of what AJ was talking about there. I, I, think, I think so often in this game, because, and for a good reason, right? Baseball is such an accessible game. Adam Abdallah was talking about this on our flagship station the other night. Baseball is so accessible to fans because each decision, each lineup call, each pitch, 
each swing is so thoroughly measured against the swings and pitches and decisions like it that have been executed in the past. We get such a rich database of history in this game that we can kind of measure what this next guy is going to do based on what guys like him before have done. That's great. And it gives us so much information about this game. And it, uh, quite frankly, Tony Russo was talking about exactly this and how much he welcomes this in the game and how great the game is because of it. Um, when he had his decision to walk uh, Trey Turner in a one-two count that was uh, roundly talked about and analyzed and and um, you know guessed and then second guessed and third guessed and all that kind of stuff, he Tony embraces this part of the game because it is such a uh, connection point I think for fans because it is so. Uh, quickly accessible. But the other part of the game, rest assured, is this interpersonal dynamic that AJ and Len and DJ were talking about. And how much it matters is absolutely a, a worthy topic of conversation, right? Like, if you roll out 25 got well, 26 now with the lineups, if you roll out 26, you know, fantastic ball players, if you've got 26 Mike Trouts, but they're all jerks, does it matter? It might not. They might all be great enough at their individual jobs. I don't know how great a pitcher Mike is, but I think somebody did this in MLB The Show with 26 Mike Trouts, and they turned out to be a 500 team with Mike Trout pitching. But you know what I'm saying? Like You could have a, a literal all-star team where everyone on that team hates one another, and you might be able to still win a lot of ball games. but that doesn't exist. Yeah, maybe save for the Dodgers. And even still, you have to have a balance of this, um, of the hierarchy, of uh, veteran to rookie, of uh, even guys who are vying to take the job away from the starting second baseman or whatever. And all of that matters. I am, as Connor here, just you and me talking. I am as big a baseball nerd as it gets on the broadcast side of things. I think. And certainly, there are others who are. I'm not saying I'm as smart as a guy like. Jason Benetti or anything like that, but you know, I, I trust the numbers and I use them um, as an access point to this game. Still, I think one of the things I've learned most, or or, or been surprised about most, or needed to learn about most in, in my you know four or five years here broadcasting for the White Sox is that extra stuff, the the little things um, that matter on road trips, the uh, connections to 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 players as human beings, the um, ability for teammates to pick other guys up when they're down, to push other guys when they need to be pushed. Um, the one thing that, that that jumps to mind most readily, I think, is uh, a situation where, you know, I think it was Lucas Giolito talking um, a couple years ago, two, three years ago, something like that, uh, about a teammate of his. Guy down on the depth chart, guy who didn't you know matter a whole lot on the ball club, and saying, "Well, this guy's my hype guy." Like, well, Lucas, you're you just threw a no hitter. You need a hype guy. I was like, yeah, you know, everybody does at some point. Everybody does, and I, I think regardless of you know how much we can um, break down individual returns, uh, win probability added, and you know all these all these little mathematical things that do matter in this game. Don't get me wrong. Applying those next to the individuals about whom these decisions are made and the teammates around them, the coaching staff around them, the lessons they get learned there, all that kind of stuff, just about on-field baseball, I think, I think it's invaluable to, to think about as, a, as the connection, as the, the building of a ball club. And I, I just thought, 
you know, the, the, the conversation there between Len and DJ and AJ regarding that in particular was such a cool window into those workings of the game. AJ having been, you know, a, a guy in a clubhouse that, that other teams hated. And then when he got to your team, you know, whether that be the White Sox or the Giants or the, the Rangers afterward, like, they loved him. They hated playing against him, but they loved him as a teammate. Um, DJ, who was such a valuable teammate to a lot of guys that he played with and, as he'll tell you, had a lot of teammates that taught him a whole lot of valuable lessons. DJ will always uh, talk about the the veterans that he came up learning this game from and how uh, incredibly informative that was to his own development as a player. And, and then you have Len, you know, who's been around World Series winners. You've uh, seen uh, Len has, has broadcast through careers of of managers like Joe Madden who have been on the cutting edge of how to manage a ball club. He broadcast with Bob Brenly, uh, who is very much, uh, as I understand it, a, a pretty old school dude when it comes to managing a ball club, but still very connected with his players. You know that kind of thing. I, I just the perspectives um, that we were able to put together in the booth here during a White Sox game just the other day were were really cool. And I, in case you missed that particular game, I, I just wanted to bring the conversation to you. Because um, we're real proud of, of how we're able to talk about this game and the perspectives we're able to bring you here on the network. You can spend the summer at the ballpark with Miller Lite, Bleachers, and Brews. Get $1 ticket and $2 beers starting at 27 bucks. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash brew. We're going to step aside for a quick break, come back, preview today's ball game a little bit, pregame show at 12.30, but there are a couple of particulars uh, that I wanted to get to you. And if you want to give a phone call, talk a little White Sox, too. we got some time left for you, 312-332-3776. That's the number. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Black and Abdallah, weeknights at 6 on ESPN 1000. Closing it up here on White Sox Weekly, I'm Connor McKnight. We had one heck of a show for you this morning. Uh, I had a little bit to do with it, not a whole lot. Eric Ostrowski is our executive producer, and his work brought you Jim Callis earlier in the day. He is MLB's one of MLB's prospect experts. We talked White Sox prospects with him. We talked Jake. We talked to Jake Berger uh, and found out that the one thing that he's never tried before, but is overconfident he would be good at, is a chess tournament. We talked baseball and stuff too, but uh, apparently Jake wants to get in on chess tournaments. So we're going to try and book him into a chess tournament here in the next couple of weeks, find him an off day, and then book him into a chess tourney. He's going to love that. Uh, We also heard a conversation from A.J. Pierzynski, Len Casper, and Darren Jackson during a broadcast just the other day that I thought was absolutely excellent. Hope you enjoyed it as well. White Sox and Rangers are coming up in a little bit here. Pre-game show starts in eight minutes here on the network. And there's just a couple of things, loose ends, I wanted to tie up before we're done here this afternoon. I mentioned the pitching matchup today, Lucas Gilito and Martin Perez, and we'll touch on this some in the pregame show as well. But I was, you know, kind of scrolling through a couple of things. Like everybody else, I'm interested in some of the top players that might get moved at the deadline, which is uh, in August, August first uh, this year is the trade deadline. And I thought, you know, this Martin Perez guy, he's been really good for the Rangers so far this year. He is a trade candidate, that's for sure. And I, I scroll, was going through an article and noticed Martin Perez's changeup has the third highest chase rate of an individual pitch 
with at least 150 out of the zone that were thrown. So what we're talking about here and what MLB.com has written about is just how nasty a pitch is when thrown out of the strike zone and how many chases it's getting. Martin Perez is getting chases at a 47.4% clip, his changeup. The only better pitches that have been thrown 150 times that are getting that kind of chase rate, Jeffrey Springs changeup and Kevin Gossman's splitter. Those are that's nasty stuff. So for the White Sox today, you got to watch out for that change. Martin Perez is going to try and probably be successful in getting you swinging outside the strike zone on it. Key is whether you're eliminating that pitch, if possible, and trying to look for something else from Perez and do damage on that, or making sure that that changeup is up if you're going to swing at a pitch like that against the lefty Martin Perez. Now, the good news is, at 4-2 and two and a one five six, while he is a tough matchup, he is a left-hander. And that usually that benefits the White Sox in a lot of different situations. They are much better against lefties than they are against righties. Uh, in fact, five of their runs last night, that whole five-run rally, caving against left-hander John King out of the bullpen for the Rangers last night, uh, kind of proof positive. Not that White Sox fans are unaware, but kind of proof positive that hitting lefties is just a, a, a touch easier for the White Sox than it has been to hit righties here. Uh, one more thing that I wanted to do, too, as we talked to Jim Callis of uh, MLB Pipeline, Norhe Vera, uh, one of the better international, uh, one of the more uh, hyped, I guess, international signees of the White Sox over the last little bit, the fifth-ranked prospect in the system, made his uh, stateside debut, his, his single-A debut just the other day, through two and two-thirds, saw that he was uh, sitting around 94-95, touched 98 or so um, and that's been an interesting thing for Vera as he's come stateside and, and signed with the White Sox where he sits velocity wise and where he has uh, kind of flashed and touched in that velocity range I, I guess he's he's been up to 100 during some of his showcases and some of his debuts so uh, great to see Norhe Vera work a little bit this year. He, it wasn't his, I pardon, I, I misspoke. It's not his stateside debut. He was uh, laid up with, I believe, an oblique strain to start the season. So this was just his his 22 debut. And Vera, the fifth-ranked prospect in the system right now per MLB Pipeline. Yoelki Cespedes is four. Jose Rodriguez is three. Oscar Colas is two. And Colson Montgomery is one. Uh, Montgomery had himself a three-hit night the other night. Uh, good for Colson Montgomery, and, and great to see he has been playing really well at A-ball. White Sox and Rangers are coming up in just a little bit, and if you are looking for a unique way to start your game day, treat your group to a pregame patio party, you'll get two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet, along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. For more information, visit whitesox.com patio or call 312-674-1000. That's going to do it for us. The pregame show is coming up in just a couple. Big thanks to Charlie and Jake and Eric and Jake Berger and Jim Callis. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.